One of these days I'm going to be up here and not cry. <laughs> but don't hold me to a time. I think I could stop right here. And we could have meditation, take the offering, sing a song and go home. And y'all be out of here by 11.30. So. But sorry, I'm going to talk anyway. Um, so, you know, today's about divine order, and our daily word was about divine order, and Abby's meditation was about divine order. And I didn't know when I came in today that Grace was going to be here and that we'd have the opportunity to hear from her. And so it's easy to look at that and say, oh, yeah, boy, that's divine order right now. Ow, sorry, I have a little tendon issue here, so I have to be careful. Um, yeah, I cannot get emphatic with this hand today. Uh, uh, didn't know this was going to happen. But how beautiful that it did. Because it perfectly illustrates not only what I'm going to talk about today, but it also illustrates that spark of hope that we need. That spark of hope that gives us something to look forward to uh, in the future for ourselves and for the generations coming after us. If these kids can do this, if these young people can pull something up from their toes and produce what you guys produced to come together, I think we can handle whatever's coming down our path, don't you? I watched the ceremony. Um, Rhonda posted um, the installation on Facebook, and I watched Dylan being installed. And I, and I watched him and seeing him from when he was younger <laughs> and um, just not totally comfortable in his own skin like we all go through <clears throat> in adolescence. And watching you, my dear, and your sister and Kaysen, and all the others that have passed through here. Watching you go through the struggles and the growth of adolescence, the beauty of adolescence, the uh, purity of your focus is an inspiration to me. And um, uh, folks, I would just like to ask you if you'd be willing to offer your forever support to Grace and Faith and all our other young people as they move beyond the YOU experience and onto the next phase of their young adulthood. If you are willing to do that, would you please say, we do. We do. Take that into your heart, sister. <clears throat> okay. Reset, what I was going to say. And this is the beauty of, uh, for me of what I get to do, is to be able to move with the flow of things and um, make course corrections as needed. I want to share with you a story that some of you have heard in full or in part, but um, I, want to, I just want to illustrate something from the best perspective that I have, which is my own. Um, I was offered a, a really good scholarship when I was in high school to go to Baylor. 
for two years and, uh, and well, for the first year. And then the, the two kids out of 10 that, that did the best academically <clears throat> in their freshman year got their scholarship renewed. Excuse me. <clears throat> Anybody else having problems with this? <clears throat> Just love the changing of the seasons. For real, I do, but... So I got the scholarship during my sophomore year, and then the recession of 74 and 75 hit, and the value of my scholarship was cut in half. And I found it out <clears throat> about six weeks before my junior year was to start. My parents couldn't afford it. I wasn't savvy about student loans, if they even had decent student loans back then. Um, so I took a different course, and... Um, Ended up going to work for the federal government and um, worked for the Internal Revenue Service for a while. Go ahead, just go ahead and react to that. I was on the uh, taxpayer service end of things and really um, loved doing that because I got to work with individual taxpayers and with small businesses and felt like I was making a, a difference for people to be in compliance and understand what was going on. And I had an opportunity to apply for a position um, <clears throat> working with American citizens overseas in any number of, of uh, embassies around the world. So I applied for that position. And one Friday afternoon, I got notified that I was one of the finalists out of the whole country for the, um, one of the positions. <clears throat> and they wanted me in Washington, D.C. on Monday. So I flew to Washington, had a great interview, a really good interview, got good response from it, and they said, we're going to get back with you as soon as we can. We've got to um, do top security clearances for all the candidates to make sure everybody gets through, and then we can make our decision. So I was back in Dallas, and um, they... Uh, they were telling me at work, well, you know, if you leave for a year or 18 months and all the progress you've made here in Dallas is just going to go down the drain, you young, ambitious 25-year-old person. And uh, I listened to that. And I withdrew my application. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, and, I, and I thought I had made the right move. It turns out that by not going... I met my previous husband. So you kind of know how that's going to end. But uh, um, I met my previous husband, and, um, and uh, that, that was a lovely marriage until it wasn't. And I went to an upper-level position. I was progressing very quickly through the ranks and went to an upper-level position, but it was in collections, and I hated it. And I was working a lot of hours. And uh, boy, there was a Sunday I was working overtime, and I think I had put in about uh, 65 hours that week. And I was at work on a Sunday afternoon, and my boss, this was back when lady bosses were trying to be like man bosses. So I had two man lady bosses that were like men, 
in the sense that they thought they had something to prove, so they overcompensated. Do you remember those days? My women friends, my male friends? Yeah, be glad you didn't live then, honey. It was, uh, wasn't pretty. <laughs> we were finding our way. And so I was crying in the bathroom on a Sunday afternoon working overtime, and I went, well, I don't think I want to do this anymore. So I quit, started graduate school, started teaching, found unity, went to ministerial school, divorced that husband, went to Austin for my first ministerial position to work with the minister that had been my first teacher up in Arlington, my first unity teacher. I went to work for her in Austin. Great teacher, teacher terrible boss. <laughs> terrible boss. She was so hard to work for. And I thought, what have I gotten myself into? I've gotten another lady boss that's really, really difficult. But it taught me a lot. It taught me lessons like miracle grow lessons. Like grow up right now. Get this lesson right now. So that uh, was a big part of my early growth. And I continue to be a minister, and here I stand. And I started back, I, thank you, I started back there losing my scholarship to Baylor. So it's easy for me to look back across that span. You remember I talked the other day about, about how we can look at our timeline and go, yeah, that all makes sense. I can understand all of it now. And the same thing that helps us understand all of that back then is also what helps us to understand what's coming that we can't see yet. It's the very same faculty. And so starting back there, moving up to where I am today, it all makes sense. But anywhere along the way, I could have said, um, okay, I'm going to get a student loan. I'm going to stay at Baylor. I'm going to continue to major in music history. What I really, really wanted to do was to write notes for album covers. <laughs> like for classical music and all kinds of music. Album covers. They're just now coming back, you see. You know, we had to get through eight-track tapes, cassette tapes, CDs, and now we're coming back around to vinyl or streaming. But that's what I wanted to do with my life. I could have made that choice. I could have made the choice to stay with the IRS. I could have made the choice not to go to that church that I found in the phone book in Arlington that changed my life forever in 1987. I could have not married that man. I could have gone to an embassy somewhere around the world. I could have died in a random embassy bombing. The man I married before didn't want to have any children. He made that decision medically, if you know what I mean. And I was okay with that because I was in my 20s and I didn't really think I wanted to have kids. But I had to go through the learning and the experience of that 10-year marriage and all the places we went, all the people we knew, all the things we learned from each other. I had to go through that in order to meet the father of my children. Surprise, I had children at 42. 
You know, now they're 24, can't believe it. And they enrich my life every day. So at any point, if you ever read that Richard Bach book called One, it had all the, was that the name of it? It had all the different uh, potentialities. Illusions. Illusions, thank you. All the different paths that you can take and how each one of those is a good path. It's a good path. So when I speak about divine order today, that's to uh, reinforce that when we affirm that something is in divine order, we are acknowledging that there is something at work that is greater than possibly our current understanding of it, that God is present in everything. Now, most of the time when we speak in new thought, we're speaking of you having a choice. We're speaking of free will as a gift. We are speaking in terms that are absolute and terms that are relative. We are speaking of God that is transcendent and God that is imminent. What I'm going to ask you to do today is to make a consideration of whether you believe God is in everything or if you believe that God is selective about where God's going to be. That God is in these things, but not these. Because I'm guessing that if you move into that way of thinking, you're probably assigning a personality to God. You're assigning some human attributes to God that have to do with what we do as human beings. That have to do with God being uh, precocious. God being punishing. God uh, teaching us a lesson. I don't think that's the God we have. We don't have that God. I think if you're in this room or if you're watching us online, you've probably already moved toward a new way of thinking about God. Maybe you've had it for a while, but you can no longer embrace the idea of God as that other thing. Some personality that's looking down at you here on earth and going, mm-hmm, I'm going to thwart those plans. <clears throat> yep, I see which direction they're going. That's not it. Oh, you're picking out that person? Hmm. Go ahead, but not the way it works. The more I look at divine order, the more I understand and the more I don't. There's the paradox. Because divine order is uh, not only something that exists, but it's something that we're in partnership with. Divine order has to do with our perception. Was divine order present even when I didn't know about divine order? Of course it was. Did I believe that there was some predestined path for me to take? No, I do not. Do I believe that if I say, oh, it's all in divine order, that I'm just using a fancy new thought way of saying, it's God's will. 
Beloved, if I ever hear any of you, <laughs> use that on somebody else. Either one of those terms. You and I are going to have a little talk. Because that is what you've heard me refer to as metaphysical malpractice. Do not do that on somebody else. Don't do that to yourself. Do not say, oh, well, I guess it's just divine order. Because I'm not sensing that you're embracing it when you say it that way. I am sensing that you are surrendering yourself to things beyond your control. Well, you can do that. We do do that. You can just say, well, it's out of my hands. But is it really, is it really out of your hands? The circumstances may not uh, be out of your hands, but the way you perceive them is. That's in your hands. That's in your ballpark. So I'd like for you to think for just a moment about a time in your life where things happened and you received an unexpected blessing. You just went, oh my gosh, look at divine order at work. This is amazing. Can you think of a time like that? Yeah. It's just great, isn't it? Wow, look how divine order worked for me. <laughs> now, you know I'm going to ask you to think of a time <laughs> in which it wasn't quite so obvious. Well, hello, Spartacus. He did come right in the back door. I, I saw him come in. Bye-bye, kitty. Not everybody can take a kitty in the church. <laughs> Divine order would have this cat believing, as do many cats, that they are entitled to whatever they want. <laughs> they do, don't they? Yep, this is what I'm going to do. I watched my cat the other day, as a matter of fact. Um, one of my sons that will remain nameless. We went to the Renaissance Fair down near Houston last weekend, got a, uh, a lightsaber, a really good lightsaber. And I say, if you're too old for toys, you're just too old. <laughs> you got to have toys. So he got himself a lightsaber, and I caught one of our cats the other day just kind of <laughs> with the lightsaber doing that cat thing, you know, about to knock it off the table. And I said, you better rescue your... I can't believe I said these words in my own house. You better rescue your lightsaber before the cat breaks it. <laughs> words I never thought I'd say. So he got his lightsaber and he turned it on and waved it at the cat. And the cat was like, and then ran away. But for a moment, he thought he was in charge. For a moment, he was going to defeat the evil empire. And so we can have our illusion that we're in control. But there is a point where we just have to be a leaf on the river and ride it. And then there are times when we say, mm, this is not working. Let me try changing course. Let me listen 
and see if there's something I can do differently. And before all that, we say, I wonder how I can think of this differently. I wonder if I can see the blessing in this before I see the blessing in this. You know? Now, if you're a skeptic, or if you're a pessimist, or if you have kind of a sardonic view of life, you might say that these words are ways for us to comfort ourselves amidst the chaos of life. But is it chaos, really? Is it? I mean, what is chaos? It's a word that we've assigned to events and circumstances that seem like they're out of control. We can either choose to see it all as chaos and we're just along for the ride and we'll make the best of it, or we can choose to see it as a divine design for which we cannot see all the moving parts. Oh, my Lord, if we could, we would be omniscient and we wouldn't need to be here. But here we are, humans, gifted, gifted with these bodies, these lives, these companions, this, this beautiful world we live in. God willing, we don't destroy it. But we've got this all around us so that we get to prove the infinite we are the proof of divinity. No pressure, <laughs> but that's what we're here for, is to prove God. Not test God, but prove God. We're the living evidence of God. So we have this natural world around us that shows us the order in the chaos, don't we? We have the cycles of life and death and seasons changing and the mother shaking off the fleas periodically, burning off the stuff that doesn't need to be here anymore. we have a decision about how we're going to treat that organism that we're living upon and within. We also have a choice about how it's going to be for our brothers and sisters on the planet. We get to determine what part of social action we want to take. That's part of divine order, too. That great restlessness for us to do something to benefit life, no matter how it looks. You'll hear later about how we benefit the crisis breadbasket and Amigos de Jesus here in Wimberley. Every little bit making a difference. Every elevation of consciousness that we have making a difference for all of consciousness. We had a big discussion. Oh, my Lord. Unity ministers have a Facebook group that's private. 
A lot of times, it's just a good way to share resources with each other, to give each other the benefit of our own experiences to, to help others in their churches. But, oh, my Lord, it can also devolve <laughs> into um, discussions that just go on and on forever and just give a minister a forum in which to speak and, man, oh, man. And you get a bunch of them together and... So we had a big discussion um, this week about an old term that has been around in unity since at least the Fillmore's, probably before, but the Fillmore's put into, um, uh, put into our, our lexicon, race consciousness, which really means uh, collective human consciousness. And then that's been expanded upon by modern psychology. Um, but race consciousness, somebody was comparing it to the uh, racial issues that we're looking at today. And everybody's like, nah, that's not what we're talking about. You know, the way our, our, our racism and our biases are part of collective human consciousness. And in order for that to be healed, we all have to heal our own part of it. So that's just an example of using what you have to contribute to the evidence of divine order, the evidence of our contribution through uh, divine inspiration. And there are different areas in life in which we can participate in bringing order, in demonstrating order, in affirming order. Now, I just want to clear up one thing. I am not talking about, when I talk about divine order, when I'm talking about uh, God being at work in everything, that doesn't mean predestination. I don't teach predestination in New Thought. That would uh, mean that all of those different paths and choices that you might choose, that you might take, all those different things would show us already that predestination is not a thing. It's not like God bumps you and says, no, not that path, this one. You do that, beloved. You do that. You do that from an awareness. But even if you make a choice that you look back at later and go, wow, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Is that not still in order? It is. I looked for many years upon that choice not to go for that foreign uh, embassy position that I could have had. Gone, wow, I should have done that. Boy, should have will keep you mired in it. I should have, I could have. I didn't, but I, that's just a mental exercise that really doesn't take us anywhere. It uses up good energy and we can't change it. We made the choice. Now, what will we do with the choices that we made? What will we do? Even if tragedy, oh man, even when tragedy strikes us, we have the decision, we have the choice to say, how shall I see this, God, in your grace, in your grace, in your grace, let me see clearly. 
And beloved, even if you carry a wound for the rest of your life, your wound is part of your holiness. It is part of your holiness, beloved. I have a friend. She had been a nun. He had been a priest. They met each other. They married. Joyously happy with each other. Just getting started on their retirement years together. And he got brain cancer. And uh, after two years of really giving cancer a run for its money, uh, he died. And we all wept with her because he was such a great man, such a kind, joyous man to know. And, of course, we say, why? And we don't always get the answer we want. Sometimes we don't feel like we get the answer at all. But we do know that we can look at the good qualities in those that have passed beyond this life, and we can decide how to incorporate those good qualities and the changes that, that came about in our lives because we knew them. We can assimilate all of that and live a more awake life because of it. So now my friend has um, cancer. And she's been going through chemo and radiation. And I just found out yesterday that now she has surgery scheduled for December. And this is one of those cancers where she had to have treatment just to get to the point where she could have surgery. And then we'll have more treatment after. So the surgery is scheduled in December on the day of her 80th birthday. Yuck. Except, not unsurprisingly, she announced to all of us that her choice is to give thanks that there is treatment available to her and that she is availing herself of it so that she may live a full life every day that she has. That's her choice. Now, she could make a different choice. She could make the choice to be angry. She could make the choice to not cooperate with that element of grace that's already living in her. She could make, a cho- she could make lots of choices to do it differently. But this is what she has chosen. She's choosing to see the order of things as they are. And that's a huge piece of it for us, isn't it? Coming to peace with what is. That's divine order too. Saying, yes, I see this. I do. I don't understand it fully. And yet I am open to seeing. I am open. I am willing. I walk with God, even in the dark places, knowing that divine order is right here, right now. I know that whatever I choose, that presence abides with me, and I abide with it. I'm not asking you an easy thing today, my friends, to see and affirm divine order in all things. We live in a world right now in which it's difficult to do that. It's hard to affirm divine order 
if we are us and they are them. <laughs> it serves us nothing to hold those distinctions. It only serves us in that it informs us on what our next right action is, on what our next right words are, on when to hold our tongue, on when to bring ourselves into alignment yet again. And really, if I were to bring it down to one simple thing, it's cooperate with God or don't. That sounds pretty legalistic, but you can go along with knowing that God is present all the time everywhere. Sorry, I keep getting in the air conditioning here. God is present all the time everywhere, or God isn't. It really is that choice. It's that choice. That's the one you're going to make over and over and over again. God is in this. God is in this. God is in this. And when you're with others who may not think and believe the same way you do, use your words judiciously. Don't slap somebody with what you know by saying, oh, you know God's in this. Maybe true but not helpful. Maybe true but not kind. You can know it for them. You can affirm it for them. That's what your prayer work is about. I'm going to stop talking now because the divine order of things would have me do so. <laughs> because we have the divine order of time, a human construct <laughs> that keeps us within certain parameters. Beloved, let's pray. And let's take that word cooperate and change it maybe to partner with. Will you partner with God in all things? Will you let divine order be your beacon? If you're facing a challenge right now, I want you to imagine that deep in your heart there's a sacred place. It might be the, the dark safety of a cave. It might be a placid pool. It might be a great marble altar. I want you to take whatever might be troubling you today and just put it there in that sacred place say whatever this is divine order is in the midst of it let my heart understand let my eyes see let my ears hear let me know that my soul's journey is sacred in every step whether I'm awake or asleep. Let that be your prayer. I partner with you, 
great spirit. Let my life be the evidence that you exist. Beloved, even now, events and circumstances are working in every area of your life for your highest good. It is a promise given to us. Let me be clear and logical and mystical. Let me be wise and innocent. Are you willing right now to let the very best of you be used in a way that enriches life? Let your heart answer, yes, today I'm willing, just for today. Tomorrow we will speak again, God. Today, you have heard something that creates a question in you. Be at peace with the question and know that the illumination, the answer, the seeing of things is on its way even now. So for all that is good and true and in divine order, we do give thanks. We let gratitude and faith lead us to a greater understanding now and tomorrow and the day after that. For all of this, we are grateful. And so it is. Amen. Amen.